What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John, and this week we are back with episode 135, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC fight night going down this Saturday, February 20th, 2021, headlined by Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis. This 15-fight car will take place from the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada, which means it will take place in the small UFC cage. Just a quick recap of the event from last week, I did predict 7 out of 10 fights correctly on the podcast, but sadly lost 1.5 units in official track bets to continue the bad streak of 2021 with 6 straight losing events in official track bets. This time it was only a small loss of 1.5 units, and looking at the bets, they weren't really too bad honestly. I had Camaro 4-5 decision, he finished in round 3, and I had Maki Patola Moneyline who was up 2 rounds going into the 3rd before getting finished in that 3rd round, so... Not a bad slate of bets by any means, just got unlucky on a few of them. And we're going to keep plugging away, keep tracking bets. I already have a few bets tracked for this upcoming card, and it has 15 fights on it, so I will definitely end up with some more track bets in the next 36 hours before the fight card starts. And this is a warning, I am recording this before the weigh-ins. Some fights might get canceled after the weigh-ins, so make sure you check Twitter. Make sure all these fights are actually happening before you listen to the podcast and listen to the analysis. So with that being said, we're going to jump into the first fight of the card. The first fight is in the heavyweight division. We have Sergey Spivak as the minus 235 favorite over Jared Vandera, the plus 200 underdog. I agree with Spivak being a pretty decent favorite here. He seems like the much better fighter. I think he's the much, much better boxer. Vandera's striking is really bad. He was getting lit up on the contender series by a pretty low-level fighter. And Vandera really needs takedowns in order to win the fight. And I think Spivak has pretty solid defensive grappling. And I think Spivak's probably the more likely one to hit takedowns to keep top position. He just beat a pretty good opponent in Carlos Felipe. And he got a takedown in a dominant round three in that fight with his grappling. So I think Spivak's better everywhere here. I think he's actually pretty likely to finish in these last two rounds given there's a big skill gap. So I think Spivak puts it on him. I think he'll justify that minus 200 price tag, and he probably gets a knockout. So I actually do have a bet tracked in this fight. I have a 0.3 unit bet on Sergey Spivak to win by knockout at plus 600. I think those odds are way off. I think it should be closer to like plus 300. So I like Spivak to get a finish here. Official pick is Spivak round two knockout. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have Draco Rodriguez as the favorite, minus 182, taking on Alamine Zahabi as the plus 157 underdog. I think this line is a little bit wide. I think Draco is a bit too young and unproven to justify this line. I understand why the market is reacting this way because Hobby is on a two-fight losing streak and he's been a bit underwhelming in his UFC career. He's primarily boxing. He's not the highest output and he just doesn't have many layers to his game. But if Zahabi were wise here, he would try to mix in some offensive takedowns because Rodriguez's takedown defense is not very good. He is opportunistic with submissions off of his back like we saw in the Contender Series. Zahabi's a pretty solid grappler. I don't think he gets submitted very easily here, and I think he competes everywhere in the striking and the grappling. I still give Draco a slight striking advantage because he has a big speed advantage on the feet, and as I mentioned, Zahabi's just kind of low output and primarily boxing, so I give Draco a slight striking advantage. I think I'll ultimately pick Draco Rodriguez to win a decision here, but it's not a confident pick, and I think the betting value is on Zahabi as an underdog, so I think Zahabi's worth a small play, and if he comes in here with a wrestling game plan, he is very live to win, so you might want to check out those Zahabi uh, submission props as well. I think that's like plus 650, plus 850, somewhere wrong along there. So those props are worth a stab. Maybe Zahabi Moneyline if you're interested in that as well, although I ultimately will be picking the other side and Draco by decision. 
The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Jamal Emers as the minus 230 favorite over Chas Kelly as the plus 195 underdog. A lot of action has been coming in on Emers throughout the week, and I agree with that action. He is definitely the rightful favorite here. Emers should have a pretty significant striking advantage here. Chas Kelly is pretty stiff and hittable on the feet. So if this fight stays standing, I expect Emers to be winning decisively, doing a lot of damage, and probably finding a late finish if it stays on the feet. If Chas Kelly wants to win this fight, he's going to have to hit takedowns, and he's likely going to have to hit them pretty early into the fight. And this is hard to predict because we haven't really seen Jamal Emers takedown defense tested much. We know he does come from a wrestling background, but we haven't seen many of his opponents actually try to take him down. I think the last one that really had success was Thiago Moises about four or five years ago, who we know is a pretty solid grappler. So it's really hard to get a solid idea of where Jamal Emers is at in terms of defensive grappling, but seeing his overall skill, seeing his offensive wrestling skill, I don't think that he's a bad defensive grappler, and I don't think he gets put in too many bad positions here versus Skelly. I'm kind of speculating a bit, but I think if Emers did have bad takedown defense, we would have seen it exploited by now. He is pretty late into his career. It's not like he's some new prospect or anything. He does have 20 plus fights, so I think we know what we're getting from Emers. I think his takedown defense will stay solid, and I think we start to see Emers get a big striking advantage on the feet here, do a lot of damage, and probably find a late finish in rounds two or three by knockout here. So I think the Emers round three prop at plus 1200 has a lot of value. I already have a bet on that myself. And I think Emers does find a late knockout here. If he pours it on, if he has his striking advantage going in this fight, I think Skelly will be eating a lot of damage. I think he uses a lot of energy trying to get those takedowns early, and he probably won't get that submission. So he's going to tire out. He's going to be hittable. And I think Emers takes advantage of that and gets a late finish. So the pick is Emers by knockout in round three. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Casey O'Neill as the minus 155 favorite to Shayna Dobson as the plus 135 underdog. Casey O'Neill is making her UFC debut here, and she's a pretty one-dimensional fighter. She is looking to hit takedowns in all of her fights, and her striking looks pretty sloppy. She doesn't look very coordinated on the feet at all. She doesn't land many effective strikes. She's actually a former strawweight, so I think that Dobson will have a pretty significant size advantage here. I also give Shayna Dobson a striking advantage here. I think she just has a lot more power behind her strikes, and we've actually seen her have striking exchanges with UFC caliber opponents and we can't say the same about Casey O'Neill. You actually got to look at the opponents that Casey O'Neill fought and realize how bad some of them are and even in those fights even though Casey O'Neill won those fights she didn't look overly impressive. Her wrestling doesn't look super reliable. Her top game doesn't look very heavy and she had a lot of dominant positions like back takes and mount on opponents and still wasn't finishing them. So even if Sheena Dobson gets taken down here which is likely because her takedown defense is really bad. I don't think that Shayna Dobson will get submitted very easily. She will be attempting to get back up to her feet and get back to that range where we think that Shayna Dobson will have a striking advantage. There's no question that Shayna Dobson has a, an experience advantage. So the main question in this fight really becomes, can Shayna Dobson stuff the takedowns of O'Neal? And if she does get taken down, can she work her way back up to the feet and get back to outstriking O'Neal where she has an advantage at distance? It's pretty hard to rely on her to do so considering she's been taken down by so many opponents and her takedown defense looks so bad. At the same time, I definitely wouldn't recommend betting on O'Neal at 60% here considering she only really has one way to win and that is getting early takedowns. And she looks like a pretty mediocre grappler who hasn't really fought anybody good. So I'd say it is dog or pass, even though I ultimately will be picking Casey O'Neill here. I really just can't shake the feeling that 
Dobson has terrible, terrible takedown defense, and she likely gets taken down and laid on here for three rounds. I don't think she gets submitted, but I think there's a good chance O'Neal gets takedowns and keeps top for three rounds. Um, but it's dog or pass. There's no way you can be trusting O'Neal as a favorite here. So I don't mind a small poke on Dobson here, but ultimately I will be picking O'Neal by decision. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Rafael Alves is the minus 180 favorite to Pat Sabatini as the plus 155 underdog. Sabatini is coming in here on pretty short notice, just about a week's notice. Mike Trezano pulled out of the fight and Sabatini jumped in. And Sabatini looks like a pretty well-rounded fighter. He's definitely primarily a grappler, but his striking has been improving. He looks more comfortable on the feet in his past few fights. And I think he's setting up his takedowns with his striking a lot better as well. On the ground, he can be very ambitious for submissions at times, but I also think he's been improving his ground control. His fights from a few years ago, he was really diving on submissions from all angles and very submission over position, but I think he's been improving that, keeping better top control and going for more process-driven submissions. So I'm impressed with what I've seen from Sabatini, not too impressed with what I've seen from Alves. Alves was a pretty muscular guy at 155 pounds, and now that he's dropping down to featherweight, I'm pretty confused how he's making this weight. He must be really compromising himself to get down to 145. And in the striking, Alves likes to swing big, wild, explosive combinations. He's not very technical, he doesn't have good footwork, but he definitely swings hard. When Alves is not throwing those big explosive combinations, he does not have consistent output at all, and I would actually say he's pretty low volume throughout the five minute rounds. So he's really relying on those big bursts of striking combinations and rocking his opponents. And I don't really think his striking is that technical. So I don't like Alves' striking very much. In terms of his grappling as well, he's good when he's on top. He can't hit takedowns. He can't keep top position. But he's not very good on bottom. He tends to stay in guard for long periods of time. And he also can get pushed against the cage a lot. I saw him spend a lot of minutes with his back against the cage, just kind of stalling. And that goes along with what I said earlier. Alves just kind of matches the pace. So if you're content to push him against the cage and a stall there, he doesn't really have the initiative to get off the cage, to force action, and to pick up the output of that fight. So I'm not only liking what I see from Alves, it seems like he can slow down late in fights as well, especially with his big weight cut. And even though Sabatini is coming in on short notice, I think I trust the cardio of Sabatini a bit more. He's looked good in his three-round fights. He's had championship experience where he's gone four or five rounds. So I think that even though Sabatini's coming in on short notice, I think he has the more reliable cardio of the two. I expect the striking to be very close between these two and I actually give a striking advantage to Alves just because I think he swings harder and his strikes will have more impact when they land. But the overall grappling edge I give to Pat Sabatini, I think he's a little bit better of a wrestler. I think he's a bit better staying on top position. And when he's on bottom, he's constantly firing up submissions, working to get back up onto his feet, working to get to the top position. While Alves is kind of known for just laying on his back in long periods of time. So even though Sabatini is coming in here on short notice, I like this matchup for him. I think there's a small chance he gets caught with a submission and transition from Alves here, like a guillotine. Alves does have a tight guillotine. But other than a submission for Alves, I don't rate his chances at winning too highly. I don't really like his striking too much. And I think that Sabatini is evasive enough to avoid getting knocked out on the feet. And if this fight ends up going the distance, I think I would trust the more well-rounded skill of Sabatini, the better cardio of Sabatini to win a decision if it does go there. So I think Alves is kind of round one finisher bust if he doesn't catch 
Sabatini with a punch coming in or catch him with a submission and transition. I don't think he wins this fight. I think we see the better fighter in Sabatini take over in the later rounds. And Sabatini either finds a late submission or wins a decision. So I'm going to go with the Sabatini round two submission as my official pick. I think there's value on Sabatini money line at this price. And I will likely track a money line bet on Sabatini as well. So the pick for me is Sabatini. I like his submission line around plus 650 as well for a small poke. And the pick is Sabatini submission round two. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Nate Landwehr as the minus 119 favorite over Julian Arosa as the minus 101 slight underdog. I already have a bet tracked on this fight, and that is a 1.5 unit bet on Julian Arosa's money line. I got about minus 110 odds, which isn't the best price, and I might even actually add a little bit more if we see Arosa go back to that dog money price because I favor Arosa here. I cap him closer to 55%, and even though Arosa is chinny, he's kind of known for getting knocked out a few times in the UFC. I don't really rate Nate Landwehr's power too highly. And I think that Arosa is the better overall striker. He's going to be putting Nate Landwehr on the back foot and making it harder for Landwehr to land powerful strikes. And I just think Arosa is the more technical striker. I think he's a little more versatile. He mixes up his kicks and punches better, his combinations. He digs to the body really well. And Arosa is pretty skilled in the clinch as well with his knees and elbows. I was really impressed with Arosa's last performance against Sean Woodson. He was getting outboxed early in that fight, but he made good adaptations. He pressured Woodson. He started having success. And in round three, he got briefly dropped, but he stayed composed. He recovered. He got some takedowns. He got a nasty choke on Woodson to finish that fight. So it was a great comeback. He was a huge underdog in that fight. And it was also very short notice. He came in on a few days notice, and he was the one pushing a pace in round three. So I think Arosa's cardio is very good. And if you compare that to Nate Landwehr's last fight in round three, he had Darren Elkins bloodied up. His face was completely covered in blood. And in round three, it was still a back and forth round. A lot of people actually scored that fight for Darren Elkins. I thought Nate Landwehr won. And I had a bet on Nate Landwehr there. And I thought he did win the fight. But it was a close fight nonetheless. I don't think it was a good look for Landwehr having that close of a boxing fight with Darren Elkins, especially when he was that covered in blood. I mean, I don't even know how the guy could see out of his eyes and he was still having competitive exchanges with Landwehr. I expect this one to be mostly striking, but if grappling does happen, I do think it'll be Arosa initiating the takedowns and hitting the takedowns. He does have some decent wrestling and Landwehr was taken down by Herbert Burns. He was taken down by Darren Elkins in round one. So it's possible we see Arosa mix it up with the takedown. I do expect most of the fight to be in the striking though. I think these guys are going to stand in front of each other and trade. So based on the dynamic of the fight, I think the ends by knockout of plus 180 has some value on it. But I don't really love it too much because ultimately I think the guy more likely to land a knockout is Nate Landwehr. And I don't think that he will be having the opportunity to land those big power shots. And I think Arosa will be the one pressuring and having more prolonged striking success. So I think a decision is more likely here. And I think going the full distance favors Julian Arosa. That's just more time for him to prove that he is the more well-rounded fighter. I think he's got the better cardio output. And even though his defense isn't great, even though he's a bit chinny, he's been knocked out. I think this is a good matchup for him. I'm trusting him to outstrike Nate Landwehr and put Nate Landwehr on the back foot where he's not as effective and just put up a ton of volume, outstrike Nate Landwehr, and win a close but clear decision here. So I like Julian Arosa in this fight. I already have 1.5 units on him at minus 110, but if he keeps going to an underdog and he ends up at plus money, I might add another half unit, one unit bet here because I cap Arosa 55%. So... 
I'm picking and betting a Rosa here, but I'm a big fan of both guys. I respect Nate Landwehr a lot. He's a really fun fighter. This fight is going to be extremely entertaining. I can't wait for this one. It's my number one most anticipated fight on the whole card, so really looking forward to this one, and I think Arosa pulls off the decision victory. The next fight takes place in the Bantamweight division. We have John Castaneda as the favorite, minus 121, taking on Eddie Weiland as the plus 101 underdog. I don't agree with this line. I think that Eddie Wineland should be a slight favorite here. Castaneda looks like a decent fighter, but he just doesn't really excel in one particular area for me to really favor him over Eddie Wineland. Eddie Wineland has a huge experience advantage. I think he's probably the better boxer. I think he's got more power behind his punches. And Castaneda is a decent striker. He's got southpaw striking. He's fought good competition in the Combati promotion, but I just haven't seen advanced enough striking technique from him to think that he outstrikes Wyland this early in his career. I don't think grappling will be a huge factor in this fight because neither guy is likely to hit offensive takedowns, but Castaneda's defensive grappling is pretty bad. His takedown defense does not look good, but you've seen him stuck on his back for long periods of time. So if Wyland were smart and uses his well-rounded game here, I think he could hit a takedown and maybe win some close rounds. Both these guys tend to be low volume, so I expect these rounds to be close, but those takedowns from Wyland, if he chooses to do so, could be a very advantageous uh, factor here for him. I just don't really see the angle in Castaneda being the favorite here. He might be a slightly better striker, but he's a weak grappler. He hasn't really beaten anybody near the level of Wineland yet. Sure, Wineland is getting old. He just got knocked out by O'Malley, but in his fights before that against Perez, against Popov, he still looks sharp. His boxing was fine. His chin, his durability wasn't too bad. So I think people are writing Wineland off a little bit too early here, and they're willing to trust Castaneda a bit too premature into his career. So I haven't seen enough from Castaneda to cap him as the favorite here. So I'd say Wineland deserves about 55% here. So I think Wineland's worth about a one-unit bet. Even though Eddie Wineland hasn't won a decision in about eight years, I'm going to be picking him to win this fight via decision. But considering these guys are likely going to stand and trade box in front of one another, I think the ends by knockout prop at plus 260 has some value. I could real- realistically see a knockout on either end. Maybe Wineland is just past his prime, gets hit and gets finished. Or maybe we see Wineland with some pop on his punches still like he did versus Popov not that long ago and find a late finish himself. So... A lot of outcomes on the table here. Not the most confident pick, but I'm going to go with Eddie Wineland by decision as my official pick, and I think he's worth a small bet as an underdog here. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Jakar Close as the minus 175 favorite to Luis Pena as the plus 150 underdog. Pena is coming in here on short notice. Jakar Close was supposed to fight Jai Herbert, who was a totally different matchup. Herbert is primarily a striker, while Luis Pena likes to mix it up and to grapple a lot more. Getting taken down has been a problem from Jakar Close in his UFC career. He was taken down in round one by Yagos. He was taken down and controlled by Benil Dariush in round one. And he did a pretty good job defending both of those. He defended the back take from Dariush. He was able to stuff takedowns of Yagos in rounds two and three and outstrike him to a decision. So even if Close gets taken down and put in some bad positions on the mat, It's not necessarily the end of the fight. He does have good submission defense, not put himself in too bad spots. And sometimes when Pena gets top position, when he gets top control, he doesn't really do enough with his top position. He doesn't attempt submissions or land much damage. And he has trouble getting that top position consistently in rounds. We saw that in the Kama Worthy fight where he was able to get a takedown in top position in round two. But in round three, he was pretty tired. He got his neck caught and got submitted in that fight. And that was a pretty bad look getting submitted by Kama Worthy there. 
In the striking here, I'm pretty confident that Close is the better striker and will get the better of the exchanges when these two are on the feet, so that's even more incentive for Pena to start shooting. I think Pena does get a takedown, but just doesn't quite do enough with the takedown to get a finish or to consistently get those takedowns in multiple rounds. So I think this one could look kind of similar to the Christos Yagos fight for Close, where he gets taken down and loses the first half of the fight, but he starts stuffing takedowns, having good cardio, and outstriking his opponent in the last two or three rounds. So I believe a similar outcome happens here. I think in terms of pre-fight money line, Pena is the side, but look to live bet your car close here after round one, after you see how he deals with the takedown attempts from Luis Pena. And considering the pain is coming in on short notice, he's kind of known for slowing down later in fights, and I think the close will have a big striking advantage. I like the Jakar close knockout props in rounds two and round three. There are something like plus 3,000, plus 4,000, so I think those have some definite value. Even the Jakar close knockout at any time prop at plus 1,100 has value, so... I like the late knockout props in terms of pre-fight bets here. I'm going to pass on Payne to pre-fight even though I do think he's the side. And I'm going to pick Jakar Close to win a 29-28 decision here. I think he drops round one but comes back in rounds two and th round three to outstrike Payne into a decision here. So close decision is the pick and look to live bet close here. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Danny Chavez as the minus 148 favorite to Jared Gordon as the plus 128 underdog. Danny Chavez has been getting a lot of action throughout the week, and I'm going to disagree with the action. I think this fight is closer to 50-50, maybe even a slight advantage to Jared Gordon, so I think it's possible the wrong guy is favored here. I think Chavez is getting a bit too much respect after his first and only UFC fight where he was able to stuff the takedowns of TJ Brown, outstrike TJ Brown, his hands look fast in that fight, he had good hard leg kicks there. So I understand why people are high on Chavez, but I think it's a bit of recency bias, and I think that Gordon is a bit of the better overall fighter, I think he's more proven. I like his cardio better. I think he's the better grappler as well. So I give a lot of advantages to Jared Gordon here. Chavez will be dangerous in round one when his strikes still have a lot of power behind them. He might be able to rock Jared Gordon and put him away in the first. But if he doesn't do that, I think we will start to see Jared Gordon show a bit of the more well-rounded skill set. I think we might see Jared Gordon hit takedowns. Gordon shot a lot of takedowns in his last fight versus Chris Fishgold. He had good top pressure. He landed a lot of ground and pound strikes. There's not a whole lot of footage of Danny Chavez's pre-UFC fights, but we do have footage of the Henderson fight where he was taken down a few times there. That was like three or four years ago, and it definitely seemed like Chavez has improved. So I'd say Chavez's defensive wrestling, his grappling off of his back is kind of an unknown. But from the limited footage of both guys we have seen, I am comfortable saying that Gordon is the better grappler. And in terms of cardio as well, I shouldn't be too harsh on Danny Chavez for his last fight because it was on short notice, but he did seem to slow down in round three and let TJ Brown back into that fight. All three judges did give TJ Brown that round. So Chavez's pace definitely weaned off a bit in that fight. It was on short notice, so I can't be too critical of the guy. I'm sort of getting the impression that the market is kind of overreacting to that last fight from Chavez. He had a good matchup in TJ Brown, a guy who just kind of plots forward without much striking defense, and Chavez looked good against him, but this is a much different matchup. I think Gordon's a better striker. The striking will be really competitive here, and I give Jared Gordon an experience, a cardio, and a grappling advantage here, so I like him as an underdog, and as long as he doesn't get knocked out or get really severely hurt in round one by Danny Chavez. I think he should start to win the fight the longer it goes. 
hit takedowns, have success with his ground and pound and his top pressure, and likely win the last two or three rounds, maybe even find out a late finish in round three somewhere along the line. So in terms of an official pick, I'll go with the decision for Jared Gordon. Let's go with the 29-28 decision, and I like him as an underdog here, but you might as well wait to bet him because the market is loving Danny Chavez, and we likely continue to see the price on Gordon go up. So you might as well wait to hold uh, to put in your bets. But I like Gordon here as an underdog, and I will end up with a track bet on him as at that plus money price. The next fight is the first fight on the main card in the heavyweight division. We have Tom Aspinall, who is a minus 250 favorite, to Andre Arlovsky, the plus 210 underdog. Aspinall looks like a promising prospect. He moves well for the weight class. He has fast hands. He looks like a good athlete, but his defensive grappling skills aren't very good. He's untested late in fights. I actually tweeted this out earlier. He has never won a pro fight that has gone longer than 95 seconds. So his two fights that have gone longer than 95 seconds, he lost both of them. Now, Andre Arlovsky is not the guy to test his defensive grappling, but he is likely to extend Aspinall into a longer fight than he's never been in before. Arlovsky is kind of known for fighting at that medium pace where he kind of draws his opponents out into a boxing match over three rounds, and he's beaten some good prospects recently doing so. I mean, if you look at his past five fights, he should be 4-1. and one. He should have won that decision over Sakai, but he beat Sakai. He beat Rothwell. Felipe Linz, Tanner Bosser, a couple of those guys were kind of up-and-coming prospects like Bosser and Linz, and even Sakai honestly could have been uh, classified as a prospect, and Arlovsky was able to defeat all those guys, extend them into that low-output boxing match, and do well in those exchanges and win those boxing exchanges with his, I mean, he's got a limited offense. He really throws low kicks and he has boxing, but he's effective at doing so. He knows his limits, his capabilities. His chin isn't that bad either. He absorbs some big shots in some of those fights. I don't think his chin is looking super fragile. So I guess it's entirely possible that we see Aspinall come out here, uses athleticism, his hand speed. He puts those hands on Arlovsky. He knocks him out early. But I'll be pretty surprised to see him do so. It would be a huge step up and a huge feather in the cap for Tom Aspinall. And I have some questions over Aspinall. He uses a lot of energy when he's moving around. He swings big power in his shots. How will he look in the second round? How will he look if Arlovsky is able to absorb his punches? Because he's been completely untested in the UFC so far. Both of his opponents have fallen down right away when he's hit them. So we don't know how Aspinall will react if Arlovsky is able to absorb his power. We don't know how Aspinall's cardio will hold up in those later rounds. We don't know how his output will look in those rounds two and three. So there's way too many questions around Aspinall to be trusting him at minus 200 here. And I think that Arlovsky is the clear side at plus 200. I was able to get in a small bet on Arlovsky at plus 310 where it opened a few months ago. Wish I added more because this price has gone down. And even at this plus 200 price, I think there's value left on Andre Arlovsky. And I'm having some faith in AA here. I'm going to pick him to win this fight straight out. I think he extends Aspinall into rounds two and three. Probably loses round one, gets hit with some big shots. But I think he's going to absorb those shots, make it into the later rounds, and outstrike Aspinall in rounds two and three. If Aspinall comes out and knocks out Arlovsky in round one, I would be impressed. But if he's able to compete in the later rounds. If maybe Aspinall wins a decision here, I would be even more impressed. So it's really a tough test for Aspinall. I don't think he passes it. I haven't seen enough to think that he passes the Andre Arlovsky gatekeeper test that almost every young and up-and-coming heavyweight is subject to. So I'm going with Arlovsky by decision, even though he's that plus 200 underdog. I'm rolling with him and I'm picking him by decision. This next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Phil Hawes, who is a minus 129 favorite, to Nasruddin Imovov, who is a plus 109 underdog. 
This fight was actually supposed to happen about a month ago. At one point, Imavov was a plus 150 underdog, but the market was really liking Imavov there, and the fight got canceled on about 24 hours' notice. Uh, so we never got to see that happen. I did analyze it on the podcast, however. My thoughts haven't really changed much. I think that Imavov could be getting a bit overrated after his last win versus Williams on the Contender Series. Williams looks really bad in that fight. He gassed out after one round, and Imavov did look good there. He looked much improved from his his tape before the UFC. But I think people could be overreacting to that. It was one good win. And I think overall, Emovolve is still a bit hittable on the feet. He doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. And Hollis is a powerful athlete. He has good takedowns. He's got power behind his punches. And in round one, I think Hollis will put Emovolve in some bad spots, whether he takes him down or he's able to hurt him with some punches. And it's possible that Imovol is able to survive that early storm, make it into the later rounds where he should have the better cardio. Halls is kind of known for slowing down. If he doesn't get that finish in the first seven or eight minutes of the fight, he has slowed down and got finished before. I will say that Imovol has some pretty good front chokes as well. So if Halls is shooting sloppy takedowns, he really has to watch his neck around Imovol, who's got good guillotines, darces, he can catch him in. Looking at the pre-fight money line here, I think Hawes is the side pre-fight. I think he's more likely to come out aggressive in round one and have early success, whether it be land a big takedown or hurt Imovolve with a punch. I think he's more likely to get an early finish or get out to an early lead, and he probably slows down if it doesn't get a finish in round one. So I think Imovolve is a better live bet here. See how he does with the power, the athleticism, the takedowns of Hawes, and if he deals with them well, then look to live bet him as an underdog or something like that. So... It's a close fight. I'm not super confident here, but I give advantages to Halls, especially early on in the fight, and I think he does find an early finish here. I'm going to go with Halls knockout round one, but I can really see Imovolve surviving, making it later in the fight, and winning the fight on cardio and attrition, but I'm not quite willing to go out and pick Imovolve here. I think Halls is the pre-fight side, and look to live bet Imovolve after round one if Halls doesn't get that early finish. So pick round one knockout for Phil Halls. The next fight takes place in the heavyweight division. We have Chris Dockhouse as the minus 201 favorite to Alexi Olenek as the plus 171 underdog. Initially, I thought this line was wide. I thought people were maybe jumping the gun a bit too much on Dockhouse, but I'd say it's warranted at this point. If you want to bet Olenek, just bet Olenek sub round one, sub round two, because I really think that he has about five to seven minutes worth of cardio left. I know Olenek did win a decision pretty recently over Fabricio Verdun, but it's not like his cardio looked really good in that fight. He got put in some bad positions on the ground in rounds 2 and 3, and Verdun made some critical mistakes and kind of lost himself that fight. He could have controlled Olenek to win rounds 2 and 3 in my opinion, but he just went for some bad back takes, some arm bar attempts that didn't go his way, and he lost position, allowed Olenek to get on top and to win those rounds, but it was still a very close fight. And overall, you got to think that Olenek has one round of cardio. I mean, look how tired he was after that round one attack versus Derek Lewis. He got dropped with the first strike that landed in round two and just knocked out right away. It is undoubtable that Chris Dockhouse is the better striker here. He's got pretty slick boxing. I've been impressed with his striking so far in the UFC. Pretty fast hands for a heavyweight. So Olenek is going to have to hit takedowns here to win. He's going to have to hit takedowns in round one. And he's likely going to have to submit Chris Dockhouse in round one because he doesn't have the cardio to hit takedowns in multiple rounds. And when the fight is on the feet, Dockhouse should be lacing him at range with punches, hurting Olenek with strikes, and likely knocking him out if the fight stays on the feet for long periods of time. 
Considering we haven't seen Dockhouse's takedown defense tested much at all, it's hard to be super confident in him here, but even if he does get taken down, I think he will be able to retain guard, not get put in many bad spots on the ground. I mean, he is a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He trains at a good gym, Martinez Jiu-Jitsu, here in Philadelphia. And the submissions that Olenek goes for are kind of meme submissions like Scarfold and Ezekiel Chokes. And the submissions that Olenek has hit on opponents lately, they're not good grapplers like Mark Hunt, like Maurice Green. And I think Dockhouse will be able to handle himself on the ground, not get submitted, work his way back up to the feet, and get back to, get back to outstriking Olenek at distance here. So... In terms of my official pick, I think I'm going to go with a round two knockout for Dockhouse. I'd say he gets taken down, loses round one, but once round two starts, Olenek will be tired. He'll be gassed out, very similar to the Derek Lewis fight, and Dockhouse will knock him out in round one. And the price differentials between the props here, I mean, Dockhouse round one knockout is like plus 175, and round two is plus 700. So I think there's way too big of a gap there between those two prices so i like the value on dockhouse round two knockout of plus 700 it's completely possible that he just dusts him in round one in the first couple exchanges too but i'm relying on olenek to put up a decent fight maybe hit a takedown or two make this somewhat interesting for a few a few minutes before eventually getting clipped and knocked out uh, so in terms of pre-fight value I don't see much value in terms of money line here. It's kind of a props or pass situation where we're at now. I guess it's doghouse or pass because Olenek round one, Olenek round one submission are the ways to play him if you like Olenek. I can't see him winning outside of round one here. So the pick round two knockout for Chris Dockhouse. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Charles Rosa, who is a minus 180 favorite over Derek Minner, who's a plus 155 underdog. I'd say this line is a bit wide in terms of pre-fight value. I'd say Minner has decided to be on here. Minner comes out very aggressive in round one, usually hits takedowns on his opponents, attempts some submissions, but is very known for gassing out and slowing down if the fight gets outside of round one. Charles Rosa has a really weird fighting style. He fights kind of sideways with some janky striking, and he doesn't have great takedown defense either. He was taken down very easily by... Bryce Mitchell over and over again in that fight and he even got taken down by Manny Bermudez um, he usually gets taken down off of throwing kicks he kind of throws lazy leg kicks at times his opponents can just reach out catch them and turn them into a dump and end up on top so I think it's pretty likely that Charles Rosa gets taken down here Minner comes out aggressive round one is his best round so I think Minner's the pre-fight side to be on here and if you like Charles Rosa here I'd say he's a much better live bet see how he deals with the early takedowns See if he's able to escape position. And Rosa does have very good submission defense. He was put in some deep chokes versus Bryce Mitchell, but was able to defend all of them. So I don't think Minner's chances of getting a submission in round one are very high. But considering that's probably the best path to victory for Minner, that's when he's having his most success. Round one submission at plus 1,000 has a ton of value for Derek Minner. So if you have access to that prop, I'd recommend stabbing on that one. I think it's likely that we see Minner slow down in these later rounds. He's going to be attempting chokes. He's going to be squeezing hard, but Rosa likely doesn't get submitted. Minner slows down, isn't able to hit takedowns, and starts to get outstruck in those later rounds. And I'll give Charles Rosa some credit. He didn't look good in round one versus Aguilar. He was a big underdog in the live lines, but he fought back in rounds two and three. He started to find his range. He had better output. And even though his striking is kind of awkward and herky-jerky, he was having success. He was landing some nice straight left hands. And I think he's the much better striker than Derek Minner. I think he's got the better cardio than Derek Minner. And if he's able to get out of round one, not get submitted, then I think he should run away with the fight in the last two rounds. Stuff and takedowns, outstriking Minner. 
I guess it's possible we see Minner improve and show improved cardio and be able to take down Rosa in multiple rounds here, but I just haven't seen him show that yet, so I'm not going to go out on a limb and pick him to do so here. So I say Rosa gets taken down and loses round one, but starts to have more success in the last two rounds has the better cardio, the better striking, and is able to stuff those takedowns, stay off his back, and do more damage in those last two rounds. So the pick for me is going to be Charles Rosa by 29-28 decision. Considering how badly Minner slows down, a finish here in the late rounds isn't totally out of the question. I doubt it will be a knockout because Rosa doesn't hit very hard, but Rosa has his own submission ability and might be able to find a late submission. So maybe the late round two, round three props for uh, Rosa's submission. And also that round one minor prop for submission at plus 1,000. So a lot of props for this fight. Pre-fight value is on Derek Minner. Look to live bet Charles Rosa here. And Charles Rosa 29-28 decision is my official pick. The next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Ketlin Vieira who is the minus 270 favorite to Yana Kunitskaya who is the plus 230 underdog. I'd say this line is accurate. This is a pretty bad matchup for Kunitskaya. Kuniskaya wins most of her fights in the clinch by pushing her opponents against the cage, using her size and strength advantage, hitting the occasional takedown. But considering that I think that Vieira can match her physicality, she's very strong. She's good in the clinch with her judo throws. And Vieira is also a very solid grappler of her own right. I think it's a very, very tough matchup for Yana. I don't really give her any advantages here. I think the Ketlin's better everywhere. The striking will be close because Vieira is very hittable. She doesn't have very high output. She kind of relies on big power shots. So Yana might compete in the distance striking by putting up volume. But in the grappling and the clinch, I expect Vieira's strength, her skill advantage to come into play here. And her to likely hit takedowns and end up in top position. Neither woman is very good off their back. Both have gotten stuck on their back for extended periods of time. But I'd say that Kunitskaya is the worst defensive grappler of the two. We've seen her out grappled and stuck on her back for longer periods of time in the UFC. The only time we've really seen Vieira struggle on the mat was versus Sarah McMahon, who is a solid top player. And she eventually did come back to win that fight via submission. So I think that it's more likely that we see Vieira end up on top of these grappling exchanges. And we likely see... A pretty low output, low intensity fight. I'm going to expect a Vieira decision here. Probably 30-27. I doubt Kuniskaya has much success. Doubt she wins a round. We might even see a finish from Vieira, even though I don't love her finishing ability. I think it will be a submission if it happens, though. So Vieira submission plus 450, or plus 425, excuse me. Not bad for a prop stab here. Uh, but a Vieira decision is going to be my pick. The next fight is the main event of the card in the heavyweight division. We have Curtis Blades, who is minus 470, to Derek Lewis as the plus 370 underdog. This fight was supposed to happen a few months ago, but the fight got canceled the same day as weigh-ins, and they're rescheduling the fight. I don't think the fight will be very good or compelling, entertaining. I think it's going to be a pretty one-sided fight. I'd say Derek Lewis needs a knockout to win. He's not going to win by submission, not going to win by decision. So he needs to knock Blades out on the feet. The only guy who was able to do that was Francis Ngannou. As we all know, though, Ngannou has freak athleticism, freak power. Derek Lewis isn't really the same type of athlete. I mean, I guess he has a minute chance at landing some big counter strike in round one and knocking Curtis Blades out. But I don't think the chances are very high at all. I think Blades is going to take him down early. He's going to ride him out against the cage, hold position him on the mat, not go for much ground and pound, not go for many submissions, just kind of ride him out against the cage like he likes to do to a lot of his opponents. But 
In Blades' last five round fight, he kind of slowed down, not really doing all that much versus Volkov. Sure, he was shooting takedowns, hitting takedowns, using energy, but you wouldn't have expected Blades to slow down as bad as he did in rounds four and five of that fight. I think there's a great chance or a great argument for Blades losing those last two rounds and really making that fight kind of closer than it had to be. I guess a similar outcome is somewhat possible here, but I think Volkov is much better suited in terms of cardio, and he's the much more consistent striker who can take advantage of those opportunities, unlike Lewis, who might be so tired himself and kind of slow and unathletic at that point in the fight where he might not be able to take advantage of those opportunities given to him in the later rounds. So I'm expecting a five-round dominant decision from Blades here. He might turn it up and start throwing some output trying to finish the fight in rounds three, four, and five, but considering he didn't really try to finish Volkov and he still gassed out in that fight, I don't really like the chances of Blades turning it up and going for that finish. So I'm expecting a five-round decision, a boring decision where Blades is on top for like 23 minutes of the fight, just riding Lewis, landing some pitter-pounder, ground and pound shots, dragging him back down to the floor. Maybe Derek Lewis stops putting up a fight and kind of gives an opportunity for a finish. It might make those round three, four, five props worth stabbing at for Curtis Blades, but I really like the over here. I have a bet tracked on the over one and a half. That's still available at minus 180 on DSI and the FanDuel Sportsbook. So if you can get that over one and a half and anything less than minus 220 or something like that, I think there's value because I think it's very, very likely this fight goes over one and a half. It's pretty much my opinion going to go into the rounds four five decision so maybe look at that blades four five decision prop if you have some faith in blades finishing ability then stab on those late round props but i'm not a believer i think he cruises to a decision here maybe 49 46 something along those lines so blades decision is the pick and i think he does it in a pretty unexciting and unentertaining way sadly so that is going to do it for this podcast we just analyzed all 15 fights going down saturday night February 20th, 2021 from the UFC Apex. It's going to be a great night of fights. A lot of good betting spots. Give out a lot of good information throughout this podcast. So hope you're able to use that information to win some money on your own bets. My track bets haven't been doing so good over on my official Bet MMA Tips page, but I'm still plugging away, still tracking bets, not losing confidence at all. And my luck will turn and I will start to profit somewhere along the lines this year. So That's going to do it for the podcast this week. I will be back next week before the next UFC card. And as always, hope you enjoy the fights. Hope you all win some bets. And I will see you before the next UFC event. Peace.